Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here, and I wanted to ask you a quick favor. If you like the show and it has helped you, please remember to rate, review, and follow it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Also, consider sharing the show on your Instagram stories or Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. And now, let's get to the creative chat. Do you ever feel like your dreams are just slipping through your fingers? Maybe you work for your passion your whole life and you haven't been able to reach it. Maybe it was a dream come true and you actually had it for a moment and then it was taken away just as suddenly as it came to you. If you've listened to this show before, this experience is what I call creative heartbreak. When you're either so close to something and you almost have it and then the rug gets ripped from under you or you have it and it gets taken away. That pain you feel when the thing you want the most in life suddenly eludes you. And you either have to redefine and find a new way forward or take a break from that thing and decide what your why is. This is such a common experience among us creatives because we're such deep feelers and we Go after the things that we love. We're in the arena. So this week, I wanted to revisit a conversation that is one of my favorite ones I've ever had on the show and in life that really addresses creative heartbreak and gives tools to get through it. I decided to replay an episode this week because number one, I think it's highly valuable content. Number two, I was in Atlanta this week, kind of taking in the creative landscape there, having meetings, and I wanted to give myself and my dear Emily, some time to have a little bit of space. So sharing this show with you so that we can, you know, creatively revive ourselves, which is just as important a part of the process as creation is. It's an episode and a message that has always stuck with me and many of my listeners. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. I go back to this one like every four months because it's just that valuable. If you haven't experienced creative heartbreak, just know, I mean, and I kind of have a hard time believing that, but if you haven't, just know that there are tools here for you to help you overcome it if one day you ever experience it. I had this extremely vulnerable conversation with hit singer-songwriter Greg Holden about two years ago. It's still one of my very favorites, so even if you've listened to it, I can't stress enough that it's worth a re-listen. If you've never heard it, it's a must-listen. So here it is, a Best of Unleash episode with Greg. Greg Holden is a singer-songwriter and musical artist best known for writing the hit song Home by Philip Phillips and for his song The Lost Boy, which was featured prominently on the hit show Sons of Anarchy. Greg grew up in the UK in a household where creativity and dreams were not encouraged. Thus, he didn't discover his passion until the age of 18 when he finally picked up a guitar. It wasn't long after that initial spark of passion that he started writing music and pursuing his dreams full on. In 2009, he moved to New York City to pursue becoming a full-time songwriter and touring artist. Since then, he's traveled the world, performing for thousands of people, and he's written songs for multiple artists, selling up to 6 million records. In 2016, he moved to Los Angeles to nurture his songwriting and production career. However, shortly after moving here, he had a creative heartbreak. But nevertheless, he pulled himself up, became his own champion, and started writing and producing his own work. My only tip that I ever give people is just be true to you. Because if you 
if you try something and you don't make it and that whole time you've been pretending to be somebody else, that's really a horrible scenario to be in. At least if you don't succeed and you've been yourself, you can sleep at night. And if you succeed doing your own thing, it's the best feeling in the world. Greg's album, World War Me, released late last month. The songs are soulful, honest, and often gut-wrenching. My favorite is called I'm Not Your Enemy, which I was so inspired by that I did a little cover of with my friend Liz Full, who creates the music for this show. And you'll hear it at the very end of the show, so stay tuned. Greg and I sat down to chat in early March at his beautiful home in the hills. He was even kind enough to let my dad, who was visiting from Michigan at the time, tag along and listen to our interview. I wanted to share Greg with you because, simply put, he is the truth. Talking with him and watching him sing is like a master class in vulnerability. He makes me want to be braver, to speak out loud about the parts of life that hurt and scare us so that we'll no longer be ruled by them. From our chat, you'll learn how to overcome creative heartbreak, why it's so important to do work that reflects who you are, how to stay present, the importance of therapy for a creative, and the benefits of getting a late start to your creative life. Now here he is, Greg Colden. So I usually start with a series of standard questions, but with you, I think you've got such an interesting story and you're so vulnerable about your creative process and the things that have been painful for you. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I read that struck me was You've been living in New York for a number of years, doing music very successfully, and then you moved to L.A. to be with your major label, Yeah, and pretty much promptly upon landing, they dropped you. Yeah. And so you went through a soul-searching moment after that, obviously. Still in it. Still in it. But I'm wondering, because there's so many people who do encounter that kind of creative heartbreak, when you're going through that kind of creative heartbreak... How do you get through it? What's your tips to other people? And kind of, can you walk me through your process of how you have healed and are healing from that? Yeah, I think I think signing to a major label was always something that I tried to avoid because I knew what would happen. You know, I thought, I have good instincts and I know I sort of see what goes on around me and I'm able to make judgments based on that. And uh, then this opportunity came up that I couldn't really refuse. I'd made this record that I really was in love with I'd spent a lot of my own money on it and I kind of wanted that money back and I got an opportunity by signing to Warner Brothers to do that um and then I was sort of thrown into this hype machine everybody was you know singing my praises and in the label telling me I was going to be the next big thing and even though I'm I know that that's it's like the bullshit side of it I did fall for it a little bit you know you can't help but get sucked in when all these executives and all these people that you admire are telling you all these great things about yourself. So you get sucked into it. Not that I lost myself, but I definitely was like started to believe the hype. And so I had this, you know, two or three year relationship with Warner Brothers. The record came out, whatever happened, happened. And then I think the brutal honesty, the brutal truth of it is that the record didn't sell as well as everybody was hoping. And I I got dropped. Um, and that's what happens. And I knew that's what ha- I already knew that that's how, that's how it worked. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't necessarily shocked, but I I was shocked at how I responded to it. I was kind of really sad about it, you know, because I'd had all this momentum. I was touring a lot. They were they were giving me money to go on the road with my band, which is really such a great help. And then that was gone, and I felt kind of abandoned. Um, and then I was sort of. I had a really hard time restarting everything. I was like, do I even want to make music anymore? Do I? 
can I go on the road solo acoustic again? Like after being with my band for so long, like how how do I recover from this? And honestly, I'm still in that process. And that's one of the reasons why I made this album was to prove to myself that I was capable of it because I felt my confidence was so shattered after that experience that I needed to scare the crap out of myself and make this album. Um, and it was a really hard process because I, I always suffer with insecurity and self-doubt and I knew that that would be the only way to get over it. If I went and made another record with a big producer, which I almost did, I almost made it with um, this record with Butch Walker. I mean, Butch is awesome, but he's a very, very great and expensive producer. And I was like, I sort of took a look at the the climate of being a songwriter these days and an artist and the, the amount of money that comes in through sales. And I was like, yeah, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work. <laughs> and I already had all this gear here in my studio. So I was thought this is a great time to challenge myself there's a, a lot there that's, i didn't really answer your question no but that either, is though. that was an amazing <laughs> answer i mean i want to i do want to know like what you did in the immediate aftershock of what happened because i think i i read something online and i i watched a few interviews with you and you talked about googling yourself oh yeah that was can, recently can can you talk about well, that i think process? i went through a crisis of like who am i what do i do and uh What's my purpose? And I sort of... Um, in that voice. In that voice. Always. always in, that's how it sounds inside my head. Um, and I just... I wanted to like take stock of where I was at and make myself either feel better or worse. But I, yeah, I started just Googling my achievements and looking on YouTube at old videos and you know these arenas that I've played and these cool interviews that I've done. And I went through this week or so of just reassuring myself that I was on the right path. Um, and I still am on that path. <laughs> so did I answer your question? I keep forgetting the question. No, I think that you it. answered it. No, you you because you told in the interview I watched. You said you saw what the through line of all of your major successes were. Oh yeah, right. Okay. And it was that everything that you had done that was great had helped people, right. and it was all those big successes. You weren't trying to do that, but that was no. just kind of it was a what the yeah. thesis statement was. Yeah. And so it's in this album, what I was so struck by, I called it music for a positive change. You made this music that all you're dealing with heavy shit. I mean, it's like heavy, the concepts that you're dealing with, Yeah, but it's how Tell can we <laughs> take the most optimistic viewpoint on these really heavy aspects of life? Yeah which I thought was interesting, but you talked about self-doubt and I think that's something that all creatives deal with. How do you get through self-doubt and what are your tips for other people who are in the thick of that? Perseverance. Sort of giving myself no other option. I mean, I've dedicated 10 years of my life, 15 years of my life to this. And really, I I have to sort of tell myself, what what am I actually going to do if I quit this? Like, if I stop doing this, where, where do I go? This I don't know if I have any other options. And the only way I really get through self-doubt is by pushing through it. There's no way to just like remedy it. You can't just like take a pill or drink a bottle of whiskey. That'd be great if that was all it took. I try, you know, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I think that the only way to really get through self-doubt is by pushing through it and then, you know, coming out the other side, having achieved something and then then figuring out how to believe that you did it. Right. Which I'm literally in the throes of right now. You know, that album was a big challenge for me. And one of the reasons it's called World War Me is because almost like half the songs are just about me struggling with 
myself. Yeah, and your own personal fight club. Yeah. Right. I, my last record was a lot about other people, and I've, I've tended to write songs about other people to escape having to write about myself. Um, and this record was a bit more about like looking internally and realizing, oh, shit, it's a mess in there. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that that's such an interesting thing that you just talked about, because I think that's something that I definitely have done in my creative journey, too. I'm also a songwriter, right. and I do this. And when I first started doing even radio, I was always like, I got to be a personality. Yeah. And then it's like, well, n no. Not if it's not who you yeah, are. Yeah. People want to connect and they want the truth. Yeah. And also by focusing on those outside things, by focusing on other people, by focusing on what you think you should be, you're actually not as successful as you would be if you just laid it all out For there. sure. And you don't help anyone. And that was one of the problems with being signed to a major label is that when I got signed, they're like, we just want you to be who you are and be yourself. We love your album. We just love everything. kidding. Just, and then it's like, just kidding. I don't like any of these new songs. Like, write bigger songs, write more hits. What and does that like, even mean, though? Write bigger songs? Like, well, that's the thing. That's the joke of this whole business is like, nobody actually knows what a hit looks like until it's a hit. And they're, mm -hmm. they're all different. Like, I mean, I wrote that home home song from Philip Phillips. And I, when I walked out of the studio that day, I didn't think it was any good. You know, and it just became a hit. On American Idol, which... If you listen to that song and then listen to the history of American Idol singles, you're kind of like, what? Yeah. It, where, I how, where does that sit? But, it's such a departure. It really yeah. is. Now, when you wrote that song, though, I read that you originally wrote it for yourself. Is that true? Uh, It's not totally true. Okay. Uh, I, we just wrote it to write it. Okay. We didn't really have any plan for it. And then I was actually going on tour that, sum that summer. And I put my set list together and was like, my God, this is a depressing show. I need some more uplifting songs. And I had home in, you know, in the bag. So I was like, ah, fuck it. I'll play that one. And then it was at the end of that tour that it got picked up for American Idol. It's so interesting because I've heard that song a million times as we all have. And then I was doing my research for you last night and I saw an acoustic performance of you doing that song. Mm -hmm. and On tour. On tour. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I like the song. It's good. But when I heard you doing it, I was brought to tears. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You have such an honesty. Well, because it was about someone in my life that was suicidal, you know. So that song is about something very personal to me. So I probably sell it a little harder than Philip Phillips. Right. And I think you sing with more vulnerability as well. Well, because it's my story. Right. Yeah. But do you ever think about, because that's something I've thought about a lot. I never have had a hit song. So I, I don't okay. know that. I don't know that lifestyle. It's but... overrated. <laughs> But do you ever wonder what would have happened if you'd kept it for yourself? Yeah, I would not be living in this house. Really? Yeah. And wow. I would probably be really struggling. Because, you know, as much as I hate those reality TV shows, that show gave that song a platform that I would have not been able to give it. So, no, I've, I get asked that a lot. Like, do you regret letting Philip Phillips have that song? And the answer is no. No way. Thank you very much, Peace Square. Yeah. Well, it's just, it, it's been such a... a a blessing in my life because it's allowed me to uh, keep my integrity and make music that I care about without freaking out worrying how I'm going to pay the bills, you mm -hmm. know? So it's been a blessing in that sense. And it changed, it changed my life in so many positive ways. I don't regret it at all. I think he does a great job of it. I think that was a really cool experience for me to go through, to be behind the scenes actually was pretty cool. I wasn't the one waking up at 5am to do, to sing it on the radio every single day, you know? Right. Which I was quite grateful for. <laughs> when you are behind the scenes, like, what's your approach to that? Because I think it's hard because you're you're kind of wearing a lot of different hats, especially right now. 
what's the difference in your approach to that kind of creative process versus when you are the artist? It's definitely a, a blurred line. It's hard to tell because I, I do think like an artist and I sing like an artist. And when I'm writing the song, I'm, I'm writing it in, in the way that I would sing it. So therefore, I think I'm sometimes a little limited and it's, that's why it's nice to collaborate with people. And lyrically, it's hard for me to disconnect and just think, you know, oh, this pers- this artist in the room here, is this is for them, so let me disconnect from that and think about what they would want to say. It's hard for me to do because I don't have a lot of practice in that. I'm constantly battling with that line, actually, of, of where I'm the artist or am I the writer. It's, it's different in every scenario. How's the battle going right now? It's, uh, it's constant. <laughs> I find life is just one constant battle, actually. Yeah, life is ceaseless effort. Yeah, That's what I always really say. Is. Yeah, like if you think it's going to get easy, sorry, yeah. you're so it's okay though there's a lot of beauty in it there's a lot to be learned yes as long as you see it that way absolutely i want to like play the victim card you know you've got to like be the hero realize that everybody's going through something and that we just have to keep persevering that's very true and i want to talk a little bit about your writing because you didn't pick up a guitar until you were 18 right correct so i mean that's not i'm only 20 now yeah i know oh my gosh (laughs) so youthful must be nice it's been a long two years (laughs) so i mean obviously that's still super young but in the scheme of like starting music that's a pretty late late, start yeah i found myself always feeling a little older than everybody else (laughs) just in you know in certain scenes so late to the game I mean, but I think that's kind of cool because you probably had a different perspective and a different appreciation for it because you didn't grow up doing this thing. You yeah, it wasn't it like later. I want to be a musician yeah. my whole life. It was sort of the, something that came to me when I needed it the most. Right, a light bulb moment. First of all, like what was your process of kind of discovering that passion? And second, what would be your advice to other late bloomers on how to kind of traverse that road? Because I think sometimes when you're a late bloomer, you feel like an imposter for a while. Yeah. And how do you real, shed yeah. that? Well, my process sort of was I saw a, a, I was working in a bar in my hometown and didn't really know I mean at 18 nobody knows where the life's going but I didn't you know I, had, I didn't really have any like aspirations or anything and I saw this guy playing guitar in a bar one night and he was singing his songs and all the girls were looking at him <laughs> isn't <laughs> that like, how it always and starts I didn't so, know I wasn't a popular kid when, when I was growing up and I was bullied a lot and I sort of I don't know I had this moment where I, it just seemed like a good idea so I I went up to him after the show and was like, can you teach me to play guitar? And he did. He taught me like three chords and then it just became, it came very naturally to me. So I just started playing, started playing in punk bands and writing songs. And that was a good outlet for me, you know, cause I had a lot of anger as a child and writing songs was this way that I could get out that anger without smashing things. That's a good, yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Smash guitar if you have to, which you yeah, did in one yeah. of your recent videos. I did, yeah. I got sad. I get sad every time I see we, a guitar that, We still like, we found it in like a trash Oh, okay. Heap All right, I'm less sad yeah. now. So it wasn't a cherished no. item. You did, I, I watched another interview where you talked about feeling like you weren't heard as a child. And so I think it's really interesting, like when we don't grow up with a culture of encouragement and creativity within our family unit and our friend unit. I think it's harder to develop that as we get older. For sure. How, what has your process of that been like and how have you built yourself up because you didn't have that foundation? Wow. The timing of this interview is just crazy. I, uh, I'm going through that hugely right now in my life still, but yeah, as a child, I was sort of told you're never going to amount to anything and you know, don't even try what's the point? And, you know, I look back now and I have compassion for my parents. You know, I, I see that 
they were struggling too and that's just that was their way of trying to protect me from disappointment probably but for me I've always been a more naturally optimistic person and driven person which is why I live 7,000 miles away from my hometown now but it's just a constant again with a constant battle it's just I'm always trying to figure out how to continuously believe in myself and also when I have achieved things in my life you have to learn how to congratulate yourself too because that's another problem that I run into is when I succeed I actually feel guilty which is strange Mm. can you walk me through that like how how do you congratulate yourself and get over that inclination toward guilt I'm still figuring that one out. Yeah, I was just in therapy like two hours ago. So I feel like I'm in <laughs> Sorry therapy that you're again getting right it now. again. No, I know. It's tough. It's a lot. Like I feel like the creative process and uncovering yourself as a creative is a lot like therapy. Yeah. I'm in therapy too, by the way. Right. It's my favorite thing I've ever yeah. done in my life. It's not mine. I love no. Jessica. That's my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's hard in the beginning. You know I'm what British. I'm... I'm not supposed to do therapy. Oh. I'm supposed to just... Well, I'm Italian. B- it I'm open. not supposed to either. But hey... <laughs> My poor dad and my parents, my dad's in the room right now. And he's, uh, I told my parents when I was 15, I'm like, I think I need to go to therapy. My mom's like, really? I'm from Michigan. So that's how we talk there. Um, But yeah, it's definitely not culturally acceptable, but I commend you so much for going through that process. It's It's like resetting a bone. Yeah. It's been a huge journey. Yeah. It's tough. So I know you're, you're doing double duty today. (laughs) We can get it a little lighter, no, maybe. No, no, it's so good. I, it's just, I don't like it's help. Talk. It's me neither. I always jumping right to like, so tell me about your child. Yeah, I'm like, get ready. <laughs> but I think so many people do deal with that early childhood programming and trying to figure out how to rewire their brain. Yeah. And it's a constant process. And I appreciate that you're talking openly and honestly about how difficult it still is. Well, it's important to do that because, you know, I wish when I was going through it, oh, you know, as I do go through it right now, it's helpful when I hear that someone else is going through it. You, you can relate. Yeah. And it's it's actually helpful to hear when someone else is going through it. So I, that's why I've always been transparent with any pain that I'm going through because if nothing else, someone might hear it and be like, thank God I'm not the only one. Right. Your bio's hilarious, by the way. Like, oh, it's so great. You wrote it yourself, I right? I did, yeah. So you're pretty self-deprecating in it, which is great. But I wonder, too, it's I'm like... trying to find a balance of I was that. just going to ask you that. Like, how do you walk the line between being self-deprecating and now by, you're veering into mental violence? By going too far and then realizing that everyone feels uncomfortable. <laughs> so do you have I've, an example learned, of that? I, no, I've just, like, no. learned through the years that, like, a little bit of self-deprecation is funny. Too much of it is dark. And I've watched people do it. Like I've watched people from the audience when they're doing it on stage and it it makes me uncomfortable and I'm like, oh crap, that's what I do. So I've sort of become more aware of it on stage. I mean, I'm there to like sell myself on stage and convince people that I'm so great that they should come back to my shows. And if I'm talking shit about myself the whole time, right? they might believe me. Right. You know, they might be like, well, this guy doesn't even believe in himself. Why should I believe in him? Right. I mean, that's a a great thing for anyone listening to remember. You do have to be your own ally. And eventually, if you talk enough shit about yourself, you start to believe it yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oops, I've done some serious damage to myself by using self-deprecation as a defense mechanism. And I think that that, there's a balance again. I gave me the balance. This is the topic of the of this podcast right now, isn't it? Balance. Balance. I think that's a topic of life. It's fighting for that. And I think as creative people, we're not always prone to balance. Yeah. We're prone to extremes. Yeah. So it's like, how do we get to that middle line? And something I've struggled with, I'll be honest with you, is like 
how do I feel comfortable in that gray area? How can I make myself know that that's still an appropriate feeling? Like when I'm not in like extreme anguish or extreme joy, that feeling balanced is cool. Mm-hmm. Have you struggled it's hard with to that? Exist there. Yeah. Like how, how do you, how are you working on figuring out how to exist in that gray? Wine. Wine. Yeah. Wine is my best <laughs> that's friend. That's a good tip. <laughs> Wine helps me keep balanced. Yeah. And that's not a good thing. Antioxidants. Yeah. I mean, it's no, supposed just, to be good for your brain. I meditate a lot. and I Any do, particular I do, kind of meditation? yoga. I just do single-pointed meditation. What's that? It's where you focus on one thing and I just use my breath. And okay. you just sit there and when thoughts come in, you let them float by. You don't pay them any attention and you just keep breathing. Uh, I do that. I do a lot of yoga. And I drink way too much wine. But you know, that's the way I keep balanced these days. Right. Travel. Travel helps me feel balanced if i stay home too long i get really uh i get cabin fever speaking of staying home i saw a really beautiful post on your instagram about your american journey oh yeah you've been here 10 years now 10 years yeah and you talked about the intense emotion of basically like purposely displacing yourself for a dream Mm -hmm. and i think that there's a lot of people right now who are sitting somewhere that is their home base and they'd like to do what you did to leave the home base and pursue what's on their heart. What would be your advice to those people and what have been your top struggles and how have you overcome them? I think that any motion is forward motion. And I think if you sit still, but you have this feeling that you need to move, then you're going to just rot inside. And it's, you know, you know, I think that it's scary to take a leap of faith, but you can also take steps one at a time. You don't have to, you don't have to do what I did and just like sell everything and move to a different continent. It does help sometimes though. But sometimes it's nice to do mm-hmm. that. Like, And don't you, think too much about it. No, I, th- I think that what I've learned over the last 10 years is that life is, I mean, this is going to sound so cliche, but life is really short. It goes very quickly. And that it's not that hard to make a change. It's scary, but it's not hard. And if you throw yourself into something, it will work out. It might not work out the way that you imagined it, but it will work out as long as you have a good attitude. And you don't need all this money. You don't need all this fame. You don't need all this recognition from anyone. And actually, I can contest personally that the more of that you receive, the more complicated everything gets. So I think that my advice would just be take the leap of faith. And, and, you know, the worst case scenario is you go back. But usually you don't. No. You'll figure it out. Yeah. There's always a way. It just, the universe will help you. If you put yourself out there into an environment that's vulnerable, but for something that is ultimately going to be positive, then the universe will help you out. I truly believe that. What's an example of that in your life? My entire life, like (laughs) moving to New York, it all just worked out, you know, and when I was broke on tour in Europe and I was very concerned about how I was going to keep making music, but I let the universe handle it and I didn't stress too much. I got handed a hit song right when I needed it the most. And, you know, I was actually uh, on my 30th birthday. I was in India. <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous. I was meditating at the Dalai Lama's temple. That's amazing. Into my going, <laughs> going into my 30th birthday. It'd been a dream of mine for a long time to do that. I don't know why, but there I was in the Himalayas meditating into my 30th birthday and I got robbed. And, uh, Got my backpack stolen with my passport, my camera, my wallet, my ID, everything. And I was standing in the middle of the Himalayas with no ID. <laughs> just like, fuck. So I just sort of, I meditated. 
and I relaxed and I was like, okay, what's happening? I'm in India. This is that's that's cool. Uh, I'm I, I just fulfilled a dream. Okay, that's cool. And I started relaxing and trying to just let go of the fear of what was going on. And my passport showed up. Like the police found my passport and I ended up making it home. You know, and I don't know. I think just letting the universe do its thing is underrated. That's powerful. Plus, it's ex- it's exciting. At least if you don't know what's <laughs> going to happen, then that's that's fun. Yeah, we never than planning everything out. Really know it's going even if we plan. If we plan, it do- it, it doesn't work. doesn't work out. It <laughs> never works out. And if it does, you don't appreciate it anyway. Or at least I'll I'll say that from personal experience. Because you're trying so hard. I call it clutching your fate. Yeah. You're trying so hard to make sure everything that you want to happen happens. And that, society teaches us that. Yeah. But then you miss life. Yeah. I and mean, that's what what I love about this new album that you're putting out is it's about all those moments in between. Yeah. I always say, I mean, I do like love songs. They're great. Don't get me wrong. But not enough people are like you in writing about those in-between moments in life and writing about those deep pains, but having a different take on them. Yeah. Like, I am not your enemy. Okay, let's talk about this one. Okay. It's so brilliant because to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that song is a love song to the people that it would be easy to think hate you and to hate in return. Correct. Talk me through the process of writing that song and what it's all about. So that song was written the day after Donald Trump was elected president. Me and my friend Garrison Starr were in Germany on tour and we woke up to the news and Garrison is a lesbian and I'm an immigrant. And so we both felt, well, we just were pretty devastated anyway for for, for multiple reasons, but we both felt a little bit attacked all of a sudden. I mean, I, I, let's not pretend I'm I'm a white man. Like what? Yeah, but you're I, an not immigrant. That much, I, I couldn't be in a better situation in on planet Earth, you know, and that sucks that that's the case, but I haven't got much ground to stand on. But Garrison, you know, she is a lesbian living in America and she felt incredibly rejected from her country. And so we sat there in this green room in Germany and we were like... We don't want to write the "fuck you" song right now. We don't want to. We don't want to channel even more hate than that's than what's already going around. So we decided to write something that sort of said to the this you know this imaginary enemy that doesn't really exist. Like we're not we're not so different. We're not your enemy. We we are we all kind of want the same thing. Why can't we see that? And that's sort of why we wrote that. And we played it. We wrote it that day, and we ended up playing it in a stadium that same night to ten thousand people. Yeah. Right. It's so powerful. It was cool. It was a really cool moment. I just think it was such a great take because we've seen a lot of anger and a lot of hate and a lot of divisiveness. But honestly, that's not what's going to change anything or move anything it's forward. It's going to make it worse. Only if we can start seeing that we're all just mirrors for each other, yeah. which is what that song so brilliantly does. I love the lyrics. I'm not your enemy. I'm just an unfamiliar friend. And you have a line in there that says something about um, you might not remember me from. Is it? You be- might not recognize you- me from before the war began. Thank you. Yeah, come on. That is so good. I mean, it's just... I mean, I don't know if you know, but I'm super talented. <laughs> I No, it, believe me, it's blatantly clear. Like, I'm telling you, I don't usually fangirl out over the people I'm interviewing, but there's something that's so special about you, and I think that this album really has the power to change hearts and minds. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, how? because now you're in the process of you're going to be starting to promote it. Mm-hmm. So how are you living between like the joy and the love of creating this new baby and having to be a part of the promotional machine that is part of any independent creative's life in 2019? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, as usually it goes, you know, I finished recording this album like a year ago. Mm -hmm. So I've had time to sort of process it and think about what it is. And I've been busy doing my own, I do my own artwork and stuff too. So I've been busy just... Like painting? No, like I do the the album artwork and stuff. Oh, wow. So I've been busy doing that and doing the, getting all the graphics ready and merch because there's a tour coming, I'm about to go out on the road. So I've been distracted doing all that stuff. But now the promo, yeah, the promo aspect is... Is a complicated one because uh, you know the industry is changing dramatically and promo is getting more and more difficult actually because now it's all about there is so much music coming out forty thousand songs a week come out on Spotify. Wow. You know the only way to really stand out these days is to like do something insanely dramatic and I'm not that I'm not that kind of artist so I don't you know I'm I'm struggling to promote but I'm trying my best. Should have just made like the front cover like a picture of my dick or something. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah. yeah, or maybe like go hula hooping on Hollywood yeah. Boulevard and sing the album while exactly. naked. Yeah, exactly. Might it's... not be a terrible idea. Yeah, but we're living in this age where you have to be absolutely ridiculous and outrageous to even be listened to. But it's isn't exhausting because it... how far is that going to go? I almost feel like in this age, though, the most outrageous thing you could do is just be yourself and tell the truth. Yeah, that's also true. What if you just stood on a street corner and started singing these songs? I don't think anybody would care. <laughs> but you could do something on it. I mean, we'll think we'll think about this. We can yeah, talk about it. We can brainstorm. Yeah. But for me, the only thing I can do is just sing my songs and be honest. And I'm not I'm not going to start trying to pretend that I'm this ridiculous character and do backflips off Capitol Records building. I'm you know I'm not going to subscribe to that. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I'm not. I don't want to lie to myself, and I also don't want to lie to other people. I can only give them what I am. Right. I think that's fair. I think a good tip that came out of what you just said, though, is like putting a little bit of space maybe between the end of your creation and the starting of promoting it, because then you have some time to think in a different part of your brain. Yeah. And think about what you're going to say about certain songs, because some songs are written, you don't know what they're about. They just write themselves and it takes you a little while to figure out what they're even about. You'll hear more from Greg Holden in just a minute, but first I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Potion Naturals. So I'm super into toxin-free beauty and toxin-free everything for that matter, from toothpaste to soap to mascara to lipstick. I really am very diligent about reading my labels and I want you to be too because the FDA really does nothing to protect us from unbelievable amounts of toxins that cause all kinds of problems from endocrine disruptors to carcinogens to affecting our fertility. And so I've really been diligent in the past seven years, really, about completely cleaning out all of my beauty, all my household products. And really the last thing I went to clean out was my perfume because I grew up collecting perfume and I love it. And not only did I love tr- like working to pick a scent that I felt fit my personality for that day, like whatever aspect of my personality I wanted to bring out, I loved the bottles and I collected them. So 
It was a real bummer when I found out that little, you know, side passion of yours has to just go out the window. That was until I found Potion Naturals. And Potion Naturals is the first and only store for discovering luxurious 100% natural fragrances. Potion's also great because it has an incredible founder. Her name is Doma Alton. You will hear from her on this show at some point. I interviewed her. And she has an incredible story about leaving Google to pursue her passion of becoming an entrepreneur. And she created Potion because her mom wasn't feeling well and could no longer wear traditional perfumes. So it was created out of a personal pain point in her own life. And maybe what's best about Potion, you can try before you buy. I like to say it's like dating for perfume. So they have a sample program where you can get any five fragrances for $25. And when you get the sample pack, you also get a $25 credit toward any full-size perfume. I got the sweet sampler because I like to smell like candy. And my favorite scent is Pro Vanilla, which is a sophisticated take on your traditional vanilla perfume. It's vanilla, all grown up. And there is a special deal just for your creative soul. So for a limited time, you can go to PotionNaturals.com and use the code UNLEASH at checkout for $5 off of any sample pack with free shipping. Again, go to PotionNaturals.com and use code UNLEASH, U-N-L-E-A-S-H at checkout for $5 off of any sample pack with free shipping. Now back to Greg Holden. When you're writing, okay, first of all, I'm going to just take you, because I asked my dad, I'm like, what would you want to know from a hit songwriter? And he said, he's really interested to hear about your songwriting process. Personally, like mine is always different every time. So I'm interested to hear, like, do you have a method that you take every time you write a song? What's your process like? Not really. I, I I think I have to keep it fresh. I have to do different things all the time, because otherwise you get, you get bored of the same routine and then the songs end up sounding the same. So I used to just write on acoustic guitar and I mean, my first album was called I Don't Believe You and I wrote that on the corner of a bar in New York, basically the the whole thing, just drunk. <laughs> um, but, Theme. Yeah, but um, yeah, whoops. Uh, but for me now, I need to always do different things. So I'll sit in here, you know, with my computer open and I'll pull up some strange noises and throw things together to try and make some sort of track that will inspire something. And then the next song might just be on piano the next one might be just me in my car with melody stuck in my head. It's always different, and I think I have to keep it different because I've been doing it for so long now that if I just sit there with an acoustic guitar, I'm like, nothing comes out. Yeah, I actually, I read that you haven't written a song on an acoustic guitar in two years. Yeah. So for you, what's the difference between it's writing funny, I actually on... wrote one last night. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. what do you think drew you to that last night after taking a two-year hiatus? I don't know. From your acoustic baby? I don't know, really. <laughs> It's just you have to wait for it to strike these days. Like I can't, I can't just go clock in at eleven o'clock and start writing music and finish at five. It's it's not the way my creative brain works. Right. So I have to just wait, and it always comes in different forms. It's interesting because have you ever read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? I just read it again recently, actually. Yeah, because yeah. that's his whole theory yeah. is you know treat yourself like a professional, quote yeah. unquote. Have a specific time every day that you write, mm-hmm. but. I think it's, I don't know, I think it's a, It's I, great. I believe in that method, I do though. believe I do, in and it. I've, but and I've done it, and things have come out. But I, I think you have to know yourself, though, yeah. too. And it, you, I, don't, I think as a creative human, we're not just like robots, you no. know? And it's great when we can be consistent. But, for example, if you're in the middle of a depression and 
you don't feel inspired, do you push through that and try to write anyway? How do you like, cause there's so many people who are battling with any sort of like mental illness or just hard life situations. How do you recommend they get through those moments and reaccess their creativity if they're feeling trapped? Well, again, like you just said, everybody's different. I mean, it would be great if I could be de- in my depression and start just writing songs all day long. But I also, at this point in my life, I understand that that's not the message I want to put out into the world either. So I don't want to sit there and write depressing songs. I'd rather, if I'm depressed, I'd rather go for a hike or go run or something like that. I'll just do something good for myself rather than putting really dark shit on <laughs> on paper. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's going to help anybody. That was my first record. And uh, I just, I don't want to put that in the world. It's not helpful for me anymore to write really depressing songs. Well, your songs, like, you know, we've gone back to so many times. They, they're they all optimistic. They're not like sugar-coated. No, they're not. I like, mean, yeah, it's not like... They're you not know, light gummy bears like, no. like floating around musically. But, but I always want to have some sort of positive message in there, even if it's amidst chaos. I need it to have something, some light at the end of the tunnel needs to be there. So, for example, something beautiful, one of your songs. You can bury all your bones, but they're going to follow you home. What does that mean? It's about pretending that something's not wrong mm-hmm. and just lying to yourself. and. For me, as a Brit, <laughs> I've been trained to just bury my troubles, you know, and not really address any any issues in my life. And so that, yeah, I guess that line is not completely relevant to the song now that I just think about it. But <laughs> um, it's just about owning a shit. That's what that's where it comes well, from. Actually... Because in that verse, I think I'm talking about everybody pointing the finger and blaming everybody else. And but ultimately, if you don't deal with your own shit, then yeah. It's not gonna. It's not. It's gonna keep following you around. I think it is relevant to the song because I know you're also saying like you could, you know, go down this terrible path, but yeah. why not say something beautiful? Why yeah. not lift someone up? But I think it is because if you are living in a place of basically inauthenticity because you're not dealing with yourself, then you can't really authentically say something beautiful because everything's fake. Right. So it fits. Okay. In my opinion. Okay, I, I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you've talked about your culture a couple times too, because I think that that has such a strong bearing on whether or not we approach our creative life or how we approach our creative life. How has your culture that you grew up in affected you as a creative? And if somebody has a culture that's kind of like trapped them, how can they break through? Well, I just did sign language yeah, when I my asked culture, him that question. <laughs> my my culture's helped me it's been a good mirror for me looking back at Britain and the way I was raised. I'm not like that anymore. I'm not, I, I don't even consider myself through no offense to England or anything. I don't even feel British anymore. I've been in America longer in my adult life than I, I was in England. So he's a Yankee folks. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> honorary Yank at this point. And uh, for me, my culture has helped me be very um, aware of bullshit. Because in England, we don't bullshit. Uh, How do you define bullshit? We don't sit there with a big smile on our face if we're feeling sad. And, you know, we don't tell someone they're great if they're not. And and I live in Los Angeles now, and that's how this place <laughs> exists. Um, it's all smoke and mirrors. But in, where I'm from, the north of England, it's, you call it out as it is, and that's helped me with my songwriting, I think. I don't, I don't beat around the bush. 
and uh, but it's also kept me humble because we have this thing in England called tall poppy syndrome. Where what's it called? Tall to- poppy. Tall, tall poppy syndrome. Tall poppy syndrome. Um, cool. Sorry, it's the way I talk. Um, <laughs> no, it's just it's very when, elegant. It's when someone around you starts to rise, you chop them down and they come back down to your level, and it's not a good thing, but it happens. And so we never let we never put anybody on a pedestal. We don't let anybody get that high. And here in America, which I don't think is a bad thing, you're told from birth, be number one, win, go chase your dreams, be as high as you can. You know, and then, so it's an interesting contrast. So for me, I think I've found a little bit of a middle ground living here for so long. But it's helped my creativity because I think that I've stayed as humble as I, I mean, I feel like I'm a humble person, but I'm a lot more confident than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Thanks to America. Yeah. We did one good thing, Thanks, right? America. <laughs> <laughs> you should do some voiceover. That was pretty good. So, you know, we talked about the moment after you moved here and you parted ways with your label and you had that real moment of self-doubt. You said that you're still in it. Mm-hmm. So I always think it's interesting. It's like, I think sometimes the universe, when you have those moments, it's testing you and be like, you really want this? We're just checking because yeah. it's going to be hard. Are you okay with this? For sure. And it's that kind of like last test before you go to the next level. Yeah. Or sometimes it's the universe telling you, hey, this isn't really for you. I want you to stop and reevaluate your life and go somewhere else. Totally. How can you tell which one the universe is trying to tell oh you? Oh, my God. I don't know, but when you figure it out, will you let me know? <laughs> I will. I'm still working on it, too. I think gut instincts. I tr- I've trusted my gut a lot uh, in my adult life, and it's always led me in the right direction. And when I haven't listened to it and I've tried to shut it up, I have fucked myself in the process. You know, I have. if I don't trust my gut, I think I've ended up in situations that I sh- shouldn't be in. And so for me, I always just use my... My animal instincts, I guess. <laughs> you know, just that that initial feeling like, is this correct? Is this what I should be doing? And it's always been right. My gut's always been right. And I actually read a couple of interesting books about that. Like, you read that book, Blink? No. It's by Malcolm Gladwell. It's actually oh, the book yeah. that caused me to move to New York. Uh, it's about those first seconds in a decision. Uh, I haven't read it for a long time, so I'm not going to quote it or anything. But it's it's about, like, your, your mind, your... Uh, subconscious already knows the correct answer before you do as a human in your brain it's really interesting actually so i guess that's that's what i trust when i'm when i'm in a dilemma or i'm in a a, a, a pinch <laughs> it's a good one i'm gonna read that book and it's good it's called blink we'll post about it so that you can read it too one thing that i'm also trying to help people and myself do through this is find creativity in the mundane because I think if we can find it in the small moments of life, like even one of the things I say is like literally like there's a creative way to pick up dog shit, you yeah. know, because then when we're in those. That's living. Yeah. Yes. Because we're, we're, otherwise what? We're sitting on Instagram looking at people doing these outrageous things. I mean, there's always going to be someone who's mega rich doing something obnoxious as hell on the Internet. And if you compare yourself to that in life, you're going to be miserable forever. And trust me, I do it. I try and attain it. I've spent a fortune going around the world trying to attain this life that I think is like the cool version of life. But ultimately, if you can't find happiness and content and be content in making coffee in the morning or going on a walk in your own town that you live in without dreaming of 
absolutely insane things, you're never going to be happy. And then when you get to those crazy places, I was just in Chile in Patagonia, like basically being chased by a puma. Oh, but like, it wasn't like <laughs> that. Sounds like a dream. But I wasn't like a like, literal I wasn't sleep dream. In it, I wasn't conscious. I wasn't present. Really? You know, I was thinking about other shit. Worried about my life, or worried about my, you know, sadness, or my promo for the record, or I wasn't even in it. I mean, there's a picture on my computer right here. I took that, it's like where I was. That looks like one of the generic like shots. Lord of the Rings. That, yeah, like that you get on your computer of beautiful places to put as your background. I never would have believed you if you told me. I if was you hadn't there, told but me I was that. probably worried about something else, you know. And I think that's the problem if you can't be okay with the mundane, then well, then you're in trouble. I love that Dr. Seuss quote, wherever you go, there you are. Oh, yeah. I've never heard that. That's good. It's very good. Yeah. And it's very true because we keep going outside of ourselves to look for happiness. But if you don't have it inside, wherever you go, you're not going to find no, it. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you can't be content on your own with your own thoughts, it doesn't matter what you do. And I'm that's what I'm trying to deal with right now. I commend you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a lifelong process. They, it is. They say uh, new new level, new devil. You know? So you you yeah, right. you yeah, hit one sure. thing and you've got and, it down and then you have to get to the next level yeah. and transcend. So That's so true. It's great. It's great that you're All continuing these great quotes that process. You're coming out with. Hey. <laughs> call me quote Sally. <laughs> Do it. No I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Do you have any tips for young musicians? Anything you wish you'd known when you were starting out? Don't do it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know because the the world has changed so much. The music industry has changed so much. I would say my only tip that I ever give people is just be true to you. Because if you if you try something and you don't make it and that whole time you've been pretending to be somebody else, that's really a horrible scenario to be in. At least if you don't succeed and you've been yourself, you can sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And if you succeed doing your own thing, that's the best feeling in the world. Don't betray yourself. Don't betray yourself. Don't do it. Rule it's not worth one. it. And fame isn't worth it. Money isn't worth it. Popularity isn't worth it. You, if you can't, if you're not being yourself, you're lying to you and everybody around you, and that's not going to ultimately bring you any happiness. So I think we have a purpose, you know, like our job purpose. Yours is probably music, but then we also have a soul purpose, a thesis statement of our lives. What would you say is your overarching purpose, and why? Wow. To do everything that I've ever wanted in my life without hurting anyone. And what have you ever wanted in your life? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I, I think, well, it's interesting. Can I tell you mine? What? So mine is to bring sight and healing and a voice to those who feel unheard, unseen, and unloved through my voice. That's a good one. You've clearly thought about this. I have. But you know why? Because I studied acting in college. Okay. And so when we, it's really, I great. I recommend anyone, anyone creative or just like who wants to understand people better take an acting class. I've thought about it actually. You really should. Yeah. Because. Like an improv class or something. Improv is great. But like if you take a scene study class, that's next level. And I've got a great recommendation cool. for you. BGB Studios. Talk about therapy. Really? I mean, I would just like go there and cry for an hour and a half every day. Not every day. Once a week. I couldn't <laughs> do that every day. I'd die. But. One thing in acting class that you learn is that every character has something called a super objective, which is basically their thesis of life, right. which is the filter through which everything goes through and it drives everything that they do. So this was a thought that was put into my head seven years ago and I've just been thinking about it since then and only in the past year 
have I laid that down as my like definitive mm-hmm. super objective? Maybe I need one of those. You know, I think it's something to meditate on. And I think it, it definitely helps your creativity. For sure. I go through my life with a lot of guilt. I don't know why, but I always, I always find that every time I feel like I've succeeded or done something great that I've caused someone pain. I, I, you can go ask my therapist what's that, what that's about. But um, I'm that's my goal is to, to get over that mm-hmm. so I can live my life. And be proud honestly, of yourself. And be proud of myself and also like bring people joy. I love making people smile. My my favorite time is to, in my life is to be on stage looking at the audience smiling or crying or whatever they're doing. Uh, that is like pure joy for me. Can I tell you something? I've never had this experience in my life. I was doing the prep for you and I couldn't stop crying the whole time I was doing the prep <laughs> in a good way because you let me feel. Right. The, you are so naturally emotional and evocative when you sing, when you talk, when you write. Everything let me feel like it was okay to feel everything right. I was feeling. You got to create a comfortable environment for people. And and you should take so much pride in knowing that that's who you are and that's how you come across in the world. That you allow other people to be themselves. I appreciate that. Yeah. There's I, need, n- I need to hear that right now. There's no <laughs> there's no guilt in that. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I can't wait for you. Wherever you go, like I just can't wait for you to be there and for the people to feel what you put out. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. It's not easy. No. It's not easy to be vulnerable, especially as a man, especially as a white man. A white man. <laughs> <laughs> my life is so difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You have no idea. <laughs> I, I really don't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, okay, so. We've talked a lot about Little Greg, but I think creativity is directly linked to the inner child. Mm -hmm. And so if Little Greg was standing in front of you right now, five-year-old Greg. Oh, my God. What do you think? Were you in my therapy? uh, Yeah, actually, I I meant to tell you. That's where I was. That's why I wanted to have it at 12, so I could (laughs) do it (laughs) post-therapy insight. But if five-year-old Greg was in front of you right now, what do you think he would say to you and why? What he would say to me? Yeah. Oh, wow. Man, you're asking the deep questions. I don't know what he would say to me. I really don't know the answer to that. I know what I would say to him. What would you say to him? And that would be, everything's going to be all right. But I don't know what five-year-old Greg would say to 95-year-old Greg. (laughs) If you had to guess. He would probably say, damn, you look old. He wouldn't. And he would say... He's looking at your accomplishments and seeing all the great oh, things Oh, if he could done. see me. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, he can, oh, okay. he can see you. I he thought he was like looking into the future. No, no, but no, no. Gonna happen. He's, so he's standing like... He's like just... He's just walked into this he's room. He's just walked into this room. He's seeing you. He's seeing oh, this beautiful okay. house you have. You've got this great ASCAP award on the wall. You've done all these amazing things. Right. You've created this life of creativity. What would he say to you and why? Knowing what you've done to take care of him. He'd probably be... He'd probably say, how the hell did you make this happen? And I can't wait for that. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything you want to talk about that we didn't hit? No, we hit a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're amazing. Thanks. So are you. That was awesome. Thank you so much for listening. And to my guest, Greg Holden. I urge you to download his album on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your music. It's called World War Me. 
You can also follow him at Greg Holden on all social platforms. A special thanks to Nicole Poulos at Sideways Media for bringing Greg on the show and for being so supportive. Check out Nicole's company at sideways-media.com. Thanks to Liz Full for composing the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. Thanks to my co-producer, Juliette Faber. Follow her at Bonjour Juliette. Thank you for another great week and for keeping us up on the iTunes charts again. You are the reason this is happening. Thank you. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review, and tell a friend about the show. It really helps us grow and get more creativity out into the world. If you'd like to join the creative community, follow at Unleash Your Inner Creative on Instagram and Facebook and at you are inner creative on Twitter. You can also email me at unleashyourinnercreative at gmail.com. Come back next Tuesday to hear more creative insights. I believe in you and the work you have to put out into the world. And stay tuned to hear a short cover that Liz Full and I did of Greg's song, I'm Not Your Enemy. It's coming up right after this. Have a great week. Talk soon.